Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7 is where we're at today. And in this chapter, we are going to be introduced to a new character. Does anyone want to guess who the new character is we're going to be introduced to in Ezra chapter 7? The character is Ezra. So we are seven chapters in and we are just now seeing Ezra mentioned for the first time. Uh, just kind of an interesting uh, little fact there. And so it's like he's not been mentioned at all. Why is this named after him? I think we can get an idea for why this uh, book is named after Ezra when we see his job, what he's doing, uh, uh, when we go through this chapter. And so uh, he, Ezra, he is only mentioned uh, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. There's one other reference in Chronicles to Ezra, but it's a different Ezra. But he is an important character. And um, we're, next week, we're going to kind of, uh, hopefully, t- we'll, we'll be able to take the time to show just how important his job was. And it's really hard for us to imagine the situation in that day. But I'm hoping I can kind of help you understand what was going on. And when you do, you'll realize just how important he was and what a big job that he had. And I'm going to show you a video, too, uh, that of something that happened about five years ago in Israel that is, uh, I think, a good indicator of what things looked like during that time. So um, uh, just kind of some interesting stuff that we just don't really think about, that we probably never really think about as Christians. But when we're looking in the story... I think it's important we understand exactly what's going on. And so in verse 1, it says, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. So notice Ezra, he is a direct descendant of Aaron and it gives his genealogy in here. He's a direct descendant of Aaron, also of Phineas, which remember Phineas was the one who in his zeal, he went and he put a spear through two people and God basically promised the priesthood would remain in his line forever because of that. We see later, though, with Eli and Hophni and a different Phineas, because they were evil, God took the priesthood from them and then later, during the, line of, uh, during the time of Solomon, he put Zadok, the priest, in there. And we'll see Ezra is even from the line of Zadok. Now, Ezra is not a high priest. Ezra, Ezra is a scribe. And so, uh, you know, who exactly is this character? You know, why is he such an important character? Why wasn't the book of Ezra named after Zerubbabel? I mean, think about it. Zerubbabel... He's in the line of Christ. Zerubbabel is a direct descendant of David. And then when we go to Matthew, we follow his genealogy. It goes directly to Joseph. And then we have, we have Jesus. Or you would think, so you would think Zerubbabel, he would be kind of the main character. Or you would think it might be Joshua, uh, the son of Jehoshadak. He's the high priest. And these guys were uh, very active in leading Israel or Judah during this time. It was Zerubbabel and Joshua that led in the rebuilding of the temple and all these things that are going on. So these guys were huge figures, but we're just now getting introduced to Ezra and he's the guy that the book is named after. And I'm going to show you 
Ezra was a very important character. While rebuilding the temple was very important, while having a high priest is very important, Ezra's job, it was, it was, it was bigger than we realized. It was huge. And we're going to see that. We'll see more of this next week too. I'm going to uh, have a tough time not getting ahead of myself and getting into next week's lesson. But notice what it says in verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up with uh, and there went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nethanims unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And right here is why Ezra was so important. He was a scribe, which these are the guys, they kept track of the Word of God. They were the one who copied the Scriptures, the Word of God. We don't even think about how important of a job that is today because we are very blessed too to have digital files that have the Word of God uh, saved. You know, we've got printing presses. We've just got endless copies of scriptures everywhere and thank god for that but back then it was not as common to have the scriptures and these scribes they were very diligent in making sure they accurately copied the scriptures accurately preserved these things because folks the word of god is everything the word of god is everything and it is a miracle that god preserved his word and it was very miraculous that it was preserved after the 70 years of captivity. Especially back during that time, the fact they still would have had the Word of God was huge. And so, you know, again, and, and so I, I want you to think about this, and we are especially going to need to think about this next week. Okay? Let's just suppose, let's just suppose that church ended for 70 years. For 70 years, we had no church. And then, after 70 years, where all of a sudden people are like, you know what? We need to go back to having church again. What do we think it would look like after that 70 years? It would be, uh, it would be an interesting thing to see. Because think about how much church has changed in the last 70 years, even with scriptures, even with churches continuing, you know, nonstop. Look at how much things have changed. Look at your common average church today. Your common fun center skinny jean purple light church compared to any church 70 years ago. It's a vast difference. So imagine if it was just gone and think about it. If, if church today just ended and then 70 years it came back, everybody is going to start looking and studying. Hey, how are we supposed to do church? Most people are going to look into history and they're going to look into Joel Osteen, Rick Warren, you know, and it's terrifying to think what we would come back to. So imagine after 70 years, Israel has not been doing the things of the law. They've not been doing the things of the temple. The priests haven't been doing their duties. It would have been forgotten in many ways. 
And so now that they're rebuilding the temple and they've already got their priests and everything lined up, but we now are having another character come back from Babylon, Ezra. He is the scribe and he is coming back and his job is going to be to make sure, okay, we're back in the land. We got the temple, but boys, we got to make sure we do things right according to the word of God. And this is something that was, again, would have been forgotten. And so, and so the thing is, we would understand if after 70 years of no church, all of a sudden we went back to having church, the most important thing would be the Word of God. And it's not hard to imagine 70 years from now being able to find a, a completed copy of Scriptures because they're so abundant, you know, because they're able to be digitally preserved, all that kind of stuff. It's easy to imagine 70 years later us still having it. But back then, having it 70 years later... That was a, a, an amazing thing in many ways, but it was mainly made possible because of scribes. They were in preserving the scriptures was such an important thing because you know what? Who cares if you have a Levitical priesthood if you don't have the word of God to know how to do the role of a Levitical priesthood? If they're just doing their own thing, they're going to look like the Samaritans that were over there that were doing their own thing. And that wasn't right. So Ezra is the very important. So he's a scribe, but he's not just a scribe, but he is one who has prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it. And that's another important thing too, because we've got, even in churches today, we've got way too many pastors that are nothing more than hirelings. They're nothing more than there to tell the people what they want to hear so they can keep on getting their paycheck. But you know what? We need preachers that are there whose hearts are seeking after the Lord and that are willing to do what His Word says and to teach what it says. That's what we need in our churches. We need people who are willing to do what the Bible says and to teach it. We've got a lot of people out there. We come across these people in the online. There's people in the online world. They love, okay? They love a lot of the preaching that I do because they like stuff that they hear and, you know, things that, you know, they like uh, taking a strong doctrinal position on something that they can run their mouth about. But when it comes to like actually doing something, you know, when it comes to actually what you do in their daily life, they they're not interested in that. In fact, today, I'm going to be preaching on the doctrine of repentance for salvation. And a bunch of people like watching that one because, you know, we're already saved and it's so easy to get saved. But then tonight... It'll be, I'll be preaching the doctrine of repentance for believers. And that one will not be as popular. I promise. It, it just because, uh, you, know, you know, I'm all for about, you know, running my mouth about stuff that doesn't affect my daily life. But when it comes to things that I have to actually do, I don't want to hear about that. But, you know, we need people who are like, no, I don't want to just know things. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to do it and I'm going to follow it. And I'm going to teach it. I'm going to set an example in that area. That's the kind of guy that Ezra was. And so he was, when he, when, when Ezra comes back, he's not one of the guys building the temple. He's not one of the guys that's going to be performing the office of a priesthood, but it's going to be his job. He's going to go to these priests who all these priests that have been walking around, they've never done the role, they've never done the role of the Levites. And there were many things that they had to do. Did you all realize too, there, and we're going to see this next week. There were thousands of Levites. They all had things that they did. They have not been doing these things 
for over 70 years. So basically everyone who's there has never done these roles before. Anybody that would still be living, you know, before when they had those things would have just been a little kid and would not have been performing the duties yet, probably. So this is brand new to all of them. And it's Ezra's job to open up the scriptures to them and and tell the Levites, all right, boys, it's time to get back to work. You've never done this before. You know, you guys have had, you know, you guys haven't done this work. You've just been kind of living normal life. But you have a calling. God chose the Levites for the service of the work of the Lord. And you're going to do these things. And they didn't have a choice. They didn't, they didn't have a choice in it. And Ezra was going to make sure that they did these things right. Verse 11. Now, this is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings unto Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and at such a time. I make a decree that all day of the people of Israel and of his priests and Levites in my realm, which are minded of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee. And this was huge because now there's nothing stopping the Jews from going back home. They have, they are, uh, they have permission from the king. They can leave. This was a good thing. For now, the Jews historically, and I think even during this time, they have always struggled with the idea of going back to their land because they usually get comfortable wherever they're at. That is still the case today. Now, I do not believe Jews need to go back to Israel. I do not believe that. I don't think God wants them to. Uh, I just I I believe they've been called away from that city and they need to follow after Christ. However, however, assuming that they're right and the Messiah has not come, then they yes, they should go back to their land. But guess what? They don't want to. And so typically throughout the years, persecution has risen up against Jews, and a lot of time it's been initiated by Jews and backed by Jews to get them to want to go back to the land. That's one of the reasons, too. Nobody can figure out how Israeli intelligence didn't see this attack coming. Are you sure? I, I think it's probably... They did see it coming. But again, uh, you know, this kind of thing is... Uh, you know, and so now, too, as a result of this attack on Israel, we're seeing... And this is the thing, too. The news media is showing this. There are protests all over the world rallying with the Palestinians. Okay? Now, folks, we do not stand with the Palestinians. Okay? They're crazy. Okay? And, all right, we all need to be praying that Egypt hurries up and opens their border to the Palestinians so they can all go there before they start shipping them all over here. That is the last thing that we want. We don't want them coming over here. But understand that... All of this stuff that's going on in Israel right now is going to make much of our world hate the Jews and persecute Jews, which is also going to cause Christians to do even more worshiping and apologizing to the Jews and everything, even though we're not going to do that. Okay, I don't I mean, I've, I've met some Jews here in town. I'm not going to run, try to run them out of town. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to pick on any of them. But understand, this will cause a great increase of anti-Junus in the world as a result of this, which is very convenient for the Zionist. And it's very convenient.
because, again, they want them going back to their land. But typically they're happy where they're at. And you know what? I think they should be happy where they're at. And don't worry about taking over other parts of the world. But again, it, this is all a religious thing. That's why this isn't going anywhere. The Jews aren't going to leave Israel alone because it's their religion that they need to take that land back. The Palestinians aren't going to go anywhere because it's their religion that they need to stay in that land and that they're supposed to hate the Jews. And then Baptist Zionists, they're going to keep supporting Israel because it's their religion that you know they're supposed to uh, bless Abraham's descendants rather than accepting the fact that they have been blessed by Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. But again, you know, getting, getting a bunch of Baptists to repent of false doctrine is highly unlikely. Okay, highly, highly unlikely. Uh, they will not be corrected with scriptures. And so, uh, even King James ones, they will stick with the NIV with uh, descendants rather than seed. And don't get me going on that. But, e- but either way, here in the story, they did. They had King giving them permission. And, and again, no, I'm not going to say that. I'll tell you after church. No. <laughs> just, the, the, it was just personal thoughts, not re- relevant to the message. But verse 14, For as much as thou art sent of the king and of his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem, according to the law of thy God which is in thine hand, and to carry the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered unto the God of Israel, whose habitation is in Jerusalem, and all the silver and gold that thou canst find in all the province of Babylon, and the free will offering of the people and of the priests, offering willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem, that thou mayest buy speedily with this money bullocks, rams, lambs with their meat offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them upon the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. And whatsoever shall seem good to thee, and to thy brethren, to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, that do after the will of your God. And so, uh, last week we saw how Darius, he commissioned the people to allow the Jews to build the house, and also to fund the work. We saw that. And And now we're seeing Ezra, he's basically in charge of making sure all the holy vessels and the treasures are brought back and put to their proper use. And there's a lot of funding going with this here. And folks, this was good. Okay, now, do you understand too that it's passages like this that are why Zionists are always encouraged? You know, they are. They always support funding for things in Israel. They always support that because they believe that we will be blessed by this. But understand, okay, Jesus finished all that, the things of the temple. The seed came, the Messiah came. We don't, that land is not needed. The things of the temple are not needed. Levites are not needed. We have Jesus. God blessed the world through Christ. And so while this was, this was a very good thing for the king to do during this time, this time to, uh, to help the Jews, to fund all these things, to bless them. Understand the only thing we are supporting today in encouraging all this stuff is the rise of the Antichrist. That is it. That is the only thing. But, again, their dispensational theologies messed them all up on this. And so we are not, we are not doing like Darius when we fund things in Israel. And I'm telling you right now, if somebody tried to pass a bill saying, you know what, 
we're going to fund, you know, helping Jews return to their homeland. Most Baptists would support it. Okay, now, some of you are thinking, I would too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, not for the same reasons. <laughs> not for the same reasons. But that's, understand, God wouldn't be, God wouldn't be in on that. God wouldn't be in on that. And just under, understand, you know, the end result of that wouldn't be good. Because if we think they're going to be content with the land over there, you're crazy. Okay. So just, it, it, it wouldn't do us, it wouldn't do us any good, even though it might sound, sound pretty good in a way. But I would support, I, I think I'd rather support sending Muslims back to other Muslim countries. And we don't have to send them to Israel. You know, we can send them, but anyway, something that's important to get a hold of though, and that you're never going to hear talked about in a dispensational church is just how big of a deal it was for Judah to be restored to the land and to build the temple. But also the fact that God provided in a major way to where Judah had no reason to not do things right, uh, you know, to do things the right way after their restoration. Because the reason you don't hear a lot of talk about this restoration is because Right here, what we're seeing is fulfillment of many prophecies that dispensationalists say are still to come. Because what they'll do, they'll go to some of these prophetic passages showing how God was going to do all these things and how God used the Gentiles to help this and they use that to teach we should all be doing these things now. It's like, no, this stuff was already done. This stuff already came to pass. But in, in much of their history... You know, that Israel's had, had before, they had great difficulties in doing the things of God because of their enemies. They had many obstacles. But, you know, they had, they had, there was financial challenges, there were famines. But now, everything is going their way. Now think, because remember, think about this. And unfortunately, this is not talked about. But, in the prophecies about the captivity, that, about the coming captivity, there were also many prophecies about them being restored. After the destruction, there were prophecies showing the restoration, the rebuilding of the temple, and then of the coming Messiah. That's what everybody... And, and, but here's what happens. Dispensationalists, they read all these glorious prophecies about the coming Messiah, and they ignore the countless scriptures instructing the Jews on what they were supposed to do when they got restored to the land. They ignore all of that. And they ignore the fact that they did not do those things. And then they insist that all those good things must come upon the Jews. No, they shouldn't. Unless God is a liar. Because, and God is not a liar. God told them these things would come to pass if you'll do these things. And they didn't do those things, so those things can't come to pass. And they ignore all that. I'm not even going to take time to go to all those scriptures. But here's what you got to understand. When God restored them to the land, not only was that a miracle in itself, but God provided everything they could need. God gave them, uh, God gave them the approval of a powerful king. God gave them funding from a powerful king. They have been told, we saw in the previous weeks, that their enemies, anybody that tries to stop them, their houses will be made a dunghill. And they don't even have to fight that battle. The king's going to do it for them. So let me ask you, what was their excuse to not do things right this time? 
Well, they did. They had a lot of challenges when they came out of Egypt. They had a lot of challenges when they first got in the land and they were fighting with the Canaanites and things like that. What's their challenge now? You know what their challenge is now? Unbelief, disobedience. They have no reason to not get things right this time. But folks, they're not going to get things right. They absolutely are not going to get things right. But God provided everything that they could possibly need so they could do things right. And why you say, well, why did God do all this knowing they were going to fail? God did all this too to show that no matter what, you're not going to obtain righteousness through the things of the law. You need the Messiah. And unfortunately, they missed that. But verse 19, let's keep reading. It says, The vessels also that are given thee for the service of the house of thy God, those deliver thou before the God of Jerusalem, and whatsoever more shall be needful for the house of thy God, which thou shalt have occasion to bestow, bestow it out of the king's treasure house. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, do make a decree to all the treasurers which are beyond the river, that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, shall require of you, it be done speedily. Under a hundred talents of silver, and under a hundred measures of wheat, to a hundred baths of wine, and to a hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and of his sons? And folks, I wish we had some leaders that feared God like this. These people feared God. And let me be crystal clear about this. We do not have any leaders today who fear God like this. And that includes Trump. That includes DeSantis. That, that, that includes, I'm telling you, we have, now we have some leaders today who pander big time to the religious, without a doubt. But here's the thing. We have some leaders who do things right. We had some leaders who did things right in 2020 towards churches, not because they feared God, but because they feared offending their conservative base. We were talking about it before church. Our politicians do not think about the future. The furthest in the future they think is to their next election. That's how far ahead they think. And they and politicians do not fear God. They fear their base. They they fear the voting block. And so there are a lot of politicians right now pandering to Israel, not because of any personal beliefs they have, but because they fear their base. And most of the Republicans are very pro-Israel, and so they will. You know, on occasion, they will make some good decisions because they need our vote. You know, they will occasionally do something that appears bold, but don't mistake that for fear of God. I have not sensed an ounce of the fear of God in any politician in a long time. And so, um, and, and even too, in 2020, when you had governors standing up and standing for the right for churches to open, I do not believe it was because of fear of God. When Trump declared churches essential, I do not believe it was a fear of God. It was about the voting base. That's what, that's what it was about. That's all the politicians fear. I would love to see a politician who I felt feared God. But if he did, he wouldn't be popular because he would be saying way too many things that would get him canceled in a heartbeat. So don't mistake pandering to the religious as a fear of God. Do not mistake that. Verse 24. 
Also, we certify you that touching any of the priests and the Levites, singers, porters, Nethanims, or the ministers of the house of God, it shall not be lawful to impose toll or tribute or custom upon them. And this was a very good decision, too, because not only, you know, again, these are, these are the priests of God, but at the same time, too, it would be wrong to do, charge them all these things because the priest didn't have any inheritance in the land. The Lord was their inheritance. And so everything that took care of the priest was from the tithes and offerings from the rest of Israel that was already paying taxes, which is why churches shouldn't be taxed. All the money that comes into a church comes from the tithes and offerings of people who have already been taxed. And so it doesn't make sense for the government to tax the church. That's just, that's just more tax on the people. So understand, there are many people out there begging for the government to start you know, taxing churches. And this is because they hate churches. That's why they hate church. But understand, a tax on a church is just an additional tax on the people. That's all there is to it. So, uh, understand, even back then, these governments, they understood it and they got it right. We're not going to put toll or tribute on the Levites. That wouldn't make any sense to do that at all. And so, it's the same thing too. I don't, th- I don't think the government ought to tax the Mormons or the, even the, a mosque or whatever. Those things are funded by individuals who already paid their taxes. And so it's just wrong for the government to... And, and listen, a lot of the stuff they're taxing us is already wrong too. So again, never, never support just new and additional taxes. Oh, that we would have a politician that would say, read my lips, no new taxes, and then stick to that and actually follow that. But again... Uh, we don't we don't have those kind of leaders. And verse twenty five. And now Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thine hand, set magistrates and judges which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye them that know them not. So Ezra is also in charge too of getting judges. Why? Because for seventy years they haven't been following the laws of God. They don't know the laws of God. They need to make, and so Ezra, you know, you know what Ezra's job was to do? You know what his job was? That, you know what the king gave him authority to do? To go tell all the judges, hey, if you find out about any homos, Leviticus 2013 them. That was the law of God. And they needed to know that. Hey, we don't put up with that stuff. People might have been tolerating that for the last several years. But that is a big no-no. This is how we we handle these things. And man, what an awesome thing that was. Wouldn't that be great if some of our leaders said, all right, you know what, we're going to get some judges. We're going to start teaching the laws of God. That'd be be pretty cool. But in reality, Ezra's job was the most important because the word of God was more important than the temple. Who cares if you have a temple if you're not doing things the way God said. So the word of, word of God has most, always been the most important thing. And whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon them, whether it be unto death or to banishment or to confiscation of goods 
or to imprisonment. So again, even though technically, you know, the Medes and Persians are in charge, they have authorized, this is a blessing, they have authorized Israel to fulfill their law, including putting people to death. And they did. They had that authority under the Word of God to put people to death. As a church, we have not been given that authority. So, you know, nobody start looking for a king to give us that authority. Uh, we're, we're, ne- we're never going to stone anybody, all right? But anyway, verse 26. And whosoever... W- oh, we already read that. Um, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And it hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. And notice how Ezra praised God for what was happening. God was the one turning the heart of the king. This was a great work of God. And what's, what's going on here? God has finished punishing Judah for all their sins. Now that God has punished them, God is comforting them. God is blessing them. God has given them instructions. God has told them some things He wants them to do. And God is paving the way for them to get these things done. God is setting them up for success. And after God sets them up for success in a miraculous way, if we go read the book of Malachi, you know what we're going to find out? They were failing big time. The book, and the, the book of Malachi, which you could say, because chronologically, after Ezra and Nehemiah, the next book is Malachi. That, that's really the only book chronologically after Ezra and Nehemiah. Haggai and Zechariah are at the same time. So when we get to Malachi, what we're seeing, after God set them up for success, basically, the book of Malachi is a warning that you are not doing a very good job. And, but God's still going to keep the promise that He gave Daniel. He's going to send that Messiah after the 70 weeks of desolation. God's going to send Elias or John the Baptist before that coming of, of the Lord takes place, before uh, before the Messiah comes. But he basically warns him at the end. And he's going to turn the hearts of the children of the fathers and the fathers of the children unless I come and smite the earth with a curse. He left them with a warning. Now, what everybody needs to do, you know, and, and I'm, I, I'm not telling you how to literally do this. If you want to literally do this, I guess you can. But even if you just figuratively do this, what everybody needs to do in their Bible, everybody needs to take their Bibles and they need to rip a page out of it that was added by the Catholics called the, the page that says New Testament. Okay? It's all one book. Okay? And it's like it's putting this idea where like into a whole new thing and a whole new system and a whole new dispensation or something. No. Ma- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is showing us the fulfillment of everything from the Old Testament. The Messiah came right when God said He would come. The Messiah is doing everything God said He would do when He came. But Israel did nothing that they were supposed to do. In fact, but what they did do was what Isaiah prophesied that they would do. And that is 
they weren't going to do what they were supposed to do. That's what, that's what we're seeing. And so, you know what we see? We see the kingdom taken from them, given to another nation, and we see all the horrible prophecies come upon them that the prophets warned about in 70 AD. They got what the prophets said. They got what the, what the apostles at Pentecost warned them. They warned them to repent or all the things that were spoken by the prophets are going to come upon you. And guess what? Those things came upon them. But yet you have dispensationalists today. They only read the prophecies that show good things that will come if they obey and they demand those things are going to come. They ignore all the prophecies that talk about all the doom and gloom that will come if they don't obey and they completely ignore the fact that they didn't obey and guess what happened? Exactly what God said was going to happen. They got destroyed. They, they, they ignore all that. So this is... When we're reading Ezra here, this is a really high point. This is God once again doing an amazing thing for them. But they're, you know, spoiler alert, they're going to fail. They're going to fail big time. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to end up offering up himself as a sacrifice. He's going to uh, take on the role of high priest himself the levitical priest will be removed the things of the temple will be removed and god will give them space to repent god gave them a generation to get on board with that new covenant but those that didn't they were destroyed and and so uh anyway so even though ezra isn't mentioned until chapter seven the reality is he is the key figure in this story because the temple priests land and even laws are nothing without people who are willing to obey the things of God. And sadly today, we have many church buildings with pastors, people. But you know what? Who cares if they don't know the Word of God and they're not willing to follow it? It really doesn't matter. And so, uh, Ezra, the scribe of God, I, I, I think the fact that he was a scribe and coming to enforce the Word of God is why he was the key figure why the book's named after him. And so with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this uh, chapter, the things we can learn from it. And I pray you'll help us, Lord, to uh, always remember the importance of your word. Lord, it doesn't matter how much we know. It matters what we do with it. And I pray you'll help us to uh, always apply the word in our lives and to let it guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.